everyone. Welcome again to the Badass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. My name is Clay McCormick and with me as always is Sean Murphy. How you doing, Sean? Good, man. I uh, totally never caught that these episodes have the same exact opening with the same exact scene with Scarecrow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know. criminal. Like, why didn't they separate them? <laughs> I want to know what happened in between. Like, he clearly had a, a run of bad luck uh, over the, the last course of uh, space we don't get to see. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of thoughts on Lockup. I uh, I didn't know that I had so many opinions on him until <laughs> uh, I watched this and started looking him up a little bit. And uh, it's interesting, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah, big... Uh, um Big attitude change between these two for Square Crow too, because he starts the first one at like high and mighty, and the second one he's like a little puppy with his tail between his legs. Yeah, the first one is like played up for comedy, and the second one is played up for fear. Yeah, yeah. And uh, regardless, Scarecrow is still a bad design, no matter how yeah. they try to play it. He's still especially oh, especially with his uh, with his mask off. He he just yeah. looks like a guy in sweatshirt and sweatpants. But he just yeah, I mean, he looks just as dorky with that baggy mask on like i just don't think they ever nailed him uh, until season four of course yeah, actually yeah. I, should t- I take that back yeah season four they knocked it straight out of the park yeah definitely which we're getting very close to you've only got a couple episodes left to do here for season yeah. uh three and yep. uh the two we're doing today are harley's holiday and lockup so we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back with harley's holiday <laughs> Harley's Holiday, written by Paul Dini, directed by Kevin Altieri. In this one, Harley Quinn is released back into society after being declared sane at Arkham Asylum. A misunderstanding at a clothing store, however, causes a snowball of comedic chaos to build around her. This is the third or fourth villain reformed uh, episode I think we've done just this season. And yeah. uh, I I didn't go back and look because I'm a terrible host, but um, I think Paul Dini has a hand in all of them. Uh, he definitely did. Looking back, he he had the story by credit for Riddler's Reform, story by credit for Second Chance, which were about Riddler and Two Face both going legit to some extent. Um, and those are the previous two episodes. So three in a row, all. Paul Dini uh, influenced episodes about villains kind of turning over a new or trying to turn over a new leaf to some extent. Hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Interesting, interesting run this season of, of uh, getting into that stuff. Yeah. And yeah, uh, uh, sorry, uh, house and house and garden also written by Paul Dini. So yeah, they're all oh, Paul yeah. Dini episodes. Yeah. I wonder if he asked for them or if they were just like, you're really good at this. Just keep going. Yeah, or if like he, nobody noticed that he just kept doing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, man, I fucking love this episode. Yeah, uh, I rewatched this at least once a year when I uh, tried to get my wife into Batman. This is what I put on. Mm-hmm. Um, now that she's riding Harley, it became one of our reference videos. Um, you know, I even referenced this. Sorry, uh, I, I referenced this vid- episode in White Knight. Um, where Batman gives her the dress at the end, I have that line uh, in there. Like, remember that dress you gave me? And he's like, you mean the one that you won't let me forget about? <laughs> I think she brings it up both in volume one and two. And I was surprised how many readers got that reference because I thought that was going to be kind of confusing to a lot of readers, and it wasn't. It was confusing to me when I read it in the when I read it the, in the book. I was like, I don't, yeah. I don't know what this is referencing, but as soon as this one started, I was like, ah, here we go. I know how this is going to end. Yeah. I uh, I almost, in volume one, I wanted to put in a uh, an editor's note like they used to do back in the day. Mm-hmm. We're like, see issue three, blah, 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 blah. And the editor would sign his name there. And I was thinking about doing that, like reference from Harley's Holiday, be it Batman <laughs> TS. But it was such a, too much of a wink to the reader in a book where I'd never, ever do that stuff. So it right. just felt out of place. So I got shot down. Yeah, and I think, you know, like you said, the people who got it got it, and people like yeah. me who didn't know it at the time get it eventually when, it, when everything kind of comes together. So, yeah, yeah, man, I'm happy to educate you about Batman for once. He's just yeah, for once. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
this uh yeah i thought this was really really good um i i've had my issues with the previous you know i kind of feel like uh, i don't know if, you, if you're a david lynch fan or whatnot but i i feel like um david lynch seems to to a certain extent just be making the same movie over and over again mm-hmm. and uh i think everybody kind of has their um or at least playing with the same themes a lot and kind of the same imagery. And everybody kind of has their uh, idea of what they think is the one where he nailed it. That's yeah. kind of how I feel knowing that Paul Dini did all these episodes where it's like it feels like he's 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 circling around the same uh, theme and the same energy, mm-hmm. but he doesn't nail it until this one. I think he really got <laughs> it on this one. Because, what was your standout David Lynch movie? Uh, I think Mulholland Drive is the okay. the culmination of of his whole thing that he's been doing b- between Twin yeah. Peaks and and Blue Velvet yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I um, think you make a good argument, man. If this is Paul Dini's Mulholland Drive, if his thing is, I like characters who are trying to reform. It uh, shows you a lot about Batman in how whether he chooses to believe that they're actually reformed, whether he wants to give them a chance. Um. And Paul Dini comes from you know, like Tiny Toons uh, mm-hmm. type stuff too, and this has a lot of Tiny Toons element or Looney Tunes elements in it. Where there's a character who's got uh, hearts in his boxer shorts. There's a lot of like right, gags yes. like that in it. Even Robin who's fighting with two fish in it. It's t- it's totally a Paul Dini episode. Like I imagine out of all the ones that he wrote, this must be one of the ones he's the most proud of. Well, if you if you really want to if you really want to uh, uh, wax. Uh, philosophical about what Paul Dini's after. I mean, it's really kind of in the same vein as as Heart of Ice, even, isn't it? Because it's he clearly yeah. likes the villains who have some sort of misunderstanding built into them, right? And uh, which he does very, very well in Heart of Ice, mm-hmm. and he does very, very well here. And I yeah. think the difference between this and some of the and I, I don't want to say that he the other episodes, the other reform episodes, are bad because they're not. It's just mm-hmm. that I think it seems like he's he's taking each one of these characters and kind of looking at this reform thing from a slightly different perspective each time. Mm-hmm. And when he nails it is when you use Harley, who is someone who is arguably not entirely uh, culpable for the position she's in to begin with, right? Because mm-hmm. she's obviously she's a villain. Obviously, she's is the Joker's yeah. girlfriend. Obviously, she's crazy. But... Yeah built into her backstory i guess we don't really know this at the time so much but yeah. built into her backstory is this idea that she was seduced and and kind of drawn to the dark side by yeah. the joker so she has that a little bit more um you can empathize with her a little bit more and you can kind mm-hmm. of see her her trying to turn over a new leaf seems a little bit more uh or believable yeah yeah it's really hard to write her because she has to ride the line. Mm-hmm. She can never really pull out a gun and shoot somebody, in my opinion. If you're going to go for a classic fun Harley, the rules for her are pretty strict and tricky. Where, like, if she's with Joker, she, he can't be doing anything truly awful. Or mm-hmm. if he does, it has to be thwarted somehow. Um, she she sort of needs to be the, the cute victim who's been sucked into his world. And she doesn't see how devastating it is. And you also need to do it in a way that respects that she's actually really intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of this kind of isn't her fault. And you're sort of playing with all of those threads. It's so hard to get like a... I think this is why a lot of writers struggle with Harley Quinn is because you, you need to really figure out how your Joker is going to be before you can get to Harley. And I hate to base a female character's writing off of how you're going to write the man. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of how she's designed, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah. I was just reading a comic where she literally shoots Joker in the face and shoots his eye out. And I remember thinking, like, whoa, that is dark. Like, that, that's, if that's your kind of Harley, then that's cool. But that is not my type of Harley at all. You mean, you mean like in Curse of White Knight where she shoots the Joker in the face? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Is it too late to this out? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's try to backpedal that. <laughs> I was gonna. She I does was, it to kill him. Like yeah. the, in this comic, she does it to make a point, and somehow he doesn't die. So I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
There's a difference. Come uh-huh. on, Clay. <laughs> I I un- I understand. I understand what you're what you're getting at, though. The, the you're uh, right. I know. Like her her her. Yeah, it's it's difficult to write her independent of the Joker because obviously she's very much. T- it's it's almost like how it's difficult to write the Joker independent of Batman, right? Yeah. Because the kind of Joker. Uh, or, or vice versa. Uh, the kind of Batman you have is is going to very much kind of define the kind of Joker you have, and the kind of Joker you have is going to define the kind of Batman you have. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, I think uh, what what. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still laughing at my lack of self awareness. Oh my god, that is the biggest foot in my mouth moment I had this year, and I'm so glad it was on tape. I'm so yeah. glad that. <laughs> yeah, well, and once I cut it into a, a, a clip that we can put up separately, it'll be a lot easier to, to... It won't get lost in the rest of this episode, and everyone will hear it very easily. You should make, like, a Carl Sagan-style auto-tuned rap video about me saying, <laughs> saying that. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like, even if you look at the, even if you look at the stuff that's come out recently, like uh, um, the Harley Quinn cartoon that they're currently doing... That's yep. very much predicated on her trying to uh, eject or ejecting from the Joker and trying mm-hmm. to find her own life. Uh, and yeah. the Birds of Prey movie, very much same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and she's not; she's actually not do, do really doing that in this episode. There's not really much mm-hmm. mention of the Joker at all. But yeah. she still has this element of... Um, she... she she like legitimately wants to go straight, but she doesn't know how or or mm-hmm. she doesn't know her uh uh i well uh, appropriately her lack of self awareness is uh mm-hmm. is what's is what's <laughs> doing her in in this one i think i don't know because, what you mean <laughs> <laughs> because she's trying to do the right she's trying to live her life, but she's been in this like cartoon yeah. lifestyle for so long she doesn't realize that walking down the street roller skating with hyenas is is not something that everybody does yeah such a great moment you know i i also think about the inclusion of um the wealthy girl there what's her name veronica Vreeland. yes um because i i imagine when they were thinking of this episode they thought let's have harley get out and she's sane but she kind of screws up um and batman sees that she's she's not truly resorting back to being a criminal she's just having a misunderstanding here and he Mm -hmm. he believes in her like i can see that how it started out but the question is then okay so why did she need a hostage and i like that they picked a hostage and i like that they picked veronica vreeland but i'm i'm curious what made them think they needed a hostage would this be for like um for, so Harley would have someone to talk to while she's going through these emotions. Would it be to show that this hostage actually is on her side at some point? Like Veronica mm-hmm. forgives Harley because Harley kind of saves her life a few times and gets her out of trouble. Like she goes out of her way to try to protect Veronica, even though she sucked Veronica in. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot to chew on there and I love it. And I also wonder why did it have to be Veronica? Could it have been a man? Would it have still worked if it was a man? Could it have been another, like, a female reporter instead of, like, Bruce Wayne's friend? Like, there's so many threads that are tied together so well in this episode um, with very little fat. Like, there's almost nothing that I would edit or change in this, honestly. Mm. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised that they they went with Veronica and not Bruce Wayne. Because it it, doesn't feel like Bruce Wayne being the hostage would would that's a really good idea too. you know yeah to to give them a little bit more bonding time and for bruce to talk to yeah. heart you know like i i i'm just kind of surprised yeah. they didn't do that i guess veronica um she kind of keeps the stakes escalating because not only is it a hostage but it's a rich hostage mm-hmm. and she's got this general father who that hilariously, part of it hilariously shows so up fun. with a sherman <laughs> tank just driving down the middle of the bridge in <laughs> gotham city yeah, shooting at his own uh, daughter in in a convertible. Yes. And then you've got uh, probably the least important subplot or or thread that they tie into this is uh, Harvey Bullock just being mad. <laughs> but I, I do have to say, yeah. his he had some great... This whole episode had great animation, but the yeah. car animation in particular was great. Like when he's yeah. smashing into the fire hydrant <laughs> and then... 
you know, kind yeah. of pulling out and doing like the, the fishtail thing. And I thought it yeah. was really, really great. Yeah, the rain effects coming down inside the car. You look at the radio and the dashboard, and he like kicks the door back, back so it's closed, or he kicks it off mm. or something. And yeah, they really had a um, classic. Ever seen the movie? It's a mad, bad, mad, bad world. Uh, very, very long time ago. Uh, I feel like there's a type of genre that I'm not. I don't know what it's called, but it's like you have these different groups chasing after a thing. Mm-hmm. And they all are going after the thing in different, unique, funny ways. Like Cannonball Run was kind of like this. Mad, mm-hmm. mad, mad, mad world felt like that. Rat Race. I feel like these, yeah, Rat Race. It was very big in the 60s and 70s. And this definitely has that vibe to it. And I love how you have four people chasing after her. You've got, you know, the cops, which is, um, you know, visualized by Harvey Dent. You've got Batman going after her, obviously. You've got um, her dad. Like, you didn't even need a crazy general in a tank to make this plot work, but it definitely turned it from a 10 up to an 11, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. you have the criminal gangster who's like um, an element of her past. So mm-hmm. she really is sort of stuck between these are all the mistakes that I've made. These are all representations of how I don't fit into society. Like there's just so much going on here that I love. Yeah. And the, uh, the gangster is even a callback to the last episode she was in with the, yeah. uh, which, um, you know, I She's guess singing. technically, yeah, yes, she goes to there, but, and, and it's sort of, uh, uh, she kind of sort of breaks up with the Joker at the end of that episode, doesn't she? Cause she, I, I can't remember how they, how they land. I know she ends up coming back to, to Arkham, but I can't remember what, what the terms are. Cause Joker yeah. almost kills her and blows her up and stuff. Yeah. She, uh, forgives him. Oh, she does. Okay. Yeah, she pulls out the gun, pulls the trigger. It's a bang flag. He thinks it's hysterical, and he's like, baby, you're the greatest. And suddenly <laughs> all his sins are forgotten. That's how that one ends. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, I and I, this is the uh, this is the first episode without the Joker in it, with, with a Harley Quinn episode without the Joker. Mm, and yeah. I think it goes a long way to establishing her as her own character. Um, yeah. Because they don't even, like I said, they don't even really mention him. Um, yeah. And they kind of let her do her own thing for the first time, and I think it works really well. Yeah. The, yeah, uh, man. You know when they when they ordered fifty six episodes of this, I my my guess is they didn't write fifty six scripts all at once. You know, yeah, they didn't just right. decide one day, hey, let's give Joker a sidekick. Hey, let's call her Harley. Hey, let's give her a backstory. Hey, she's we know that she's going to be really interesting. We know she's going to be as interesting as the Joker, if not more, mm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. So they must have had funding to do 56 they must have taken the first chunk for season one and like all right we're gonna need these 22 episodes first they must have sunk their teeth into harley a little bit they must have started seeing potential then they must have started saying hey by season two or three maybe this character is going to grow into something really interesting and they followed that and it worked like that's that had to be how this happened right (laughs) yeah i think it's i think it it, i think you can kind of see excuse me if you go back and you kind of look at the the thread of Harley episodes, you can kind of see the progression, the natural progression of the character because she shows up yeah. just as like a a background goon the yeah. first time she shows up, and then she's got a little bit something extra, like she's clearly yeah. different than the regular goon. And I can yeah. see I can see them kind of you know jumping back a little bit. Oh, that performance is really good. We should get Arlene back in to do another one. Yeah. We could put our, let's put Harley in, and, and you know yeah. that that stuff. I don't. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Maybe Paul Dini from day one was like, I'm going to create this character and she's going to be amazing. I don't know. But yeah, the, yeah um, I'm sure that he's talked about it. But we just haven't heard. Yeah. But podcasts. like I think about I think about like, uh, uh, did you did you watch Breaking Bad? Oh, yeah. The uh, I've heard yeah. interviews with Vince Gilligan where he said Jesse was supposed to die at the end of the first yeah. season. But right, the yeah. so they never had plans for him outside of the first season. But once they. Yeah kind of got the two of them together and saw where things were going and the chemistry and all that kind of stuff, then they're like, well, we can't get rid of him. He's great. And it just kind of naturally, organically progresses from there. Yeah, I mean, if the process is anything like creative comic, creating comic books, um, for me, it's like, I would for them, I'd say, maybe they really liked Arlene Sorkin. Maybe Mm -hmm. they were like, God, she's so good. Can we write more stuff for her? Maybe they all went out to lunch after. Maybe they all just clicked. Um, Maybe she had ideas. Like the, the writer's were very responsive to what she wanted to do. And then the writer's room was filled with more talk of like, hey, what can we do with Harley? What can we Like maybe she became a hit with their creators first. Mm-hmm. And then they knew they had something and then they knew 
and then that hit became hit with the the viewers as well you know mm. i mean yeah. for comics you know creating this job is kind of sad and lonely in a lot of ways so <laughs> i love where when i can uh team up with friends even like teaming up with you for example mm-hmm. it's like or even uh, I, you I'll, you throw a character at me like maybe this guy should be a batman like jason blood i never had any desire to use jason i'm not a big fan of magic but i really enjoyed talking with you about him and throwing this element in i really enjoyed drawing him and i came out of the process being more of a jason blood fan than uh, i ever thought i would be when i was starting page one. You oh, know cool I mean? yeah yeah you know i th- i think that's sometimes sometimes you don't expect those characters to kind of sneak up on you and and uh yeah and stand out to you the way that that they end up doing like uh yeah I um yeah. <clears throat> when I I went back and I was reading Batman and I uh, I've talked about this briefly in the past but I, I I really got into the character Spoiler who is uh, yeah, I don't uh know that one. she was created to essentially be Robin's girlfriend when Tim mm-hmm. Drake got his own book she's the daughter of a uh, criminal named the Clue Master and huh. uh, she's her own vigil she becomes this vigilante called the Spoiler specifically so she can spoil her dad's plans because she hates that her dad is a uh, is a bat, is a villain, and okay. uh, she becomes this um, romantic foil for Robin in his book, where Tim Drake is in high school and has a high school girlfriend, but he's also Robin, and he's got this other girl who's also a vigilante who is you know he's trying not to be into, but he clearly is because she's clearly into him and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and she as a character just kind of really stood out to me because the way that they progress her story is really kind of interesting where she starts off as this vigilante that Batman doesn't want any part of. And then eventually she sticks around long enough that she becomes Robin very, Mm. very briefly. And her, her stint as Robin is unfortunately uh, uh, tragic, but uh, she's become a fan favorite since then, but it was a character I had never heard of. um, And then just kind of caught wind of, as I was reading some stuff and I was like, Oh, this is actually a really cool character. I think the same thing, like the way people are reacted to something like, uh, Gwenpool, no, yeah. not Gwenpool, Gwen, spider Gwen. Yeah. Spider Gwen. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, cool idea. That's fun. But then she instantly becomes this fan favorite because something about her clicks with people. Yeah. And then they yeah. bring her back and all of a sudden she's in the movies and stuff. And you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, you never know how that stuff is going to land. Yeah. So sort of related to this, uh, I have um, Mateo is drawing that uh, Harley Quinn book that mm-hmm. my wife is writing, and uh, for the final scene, I had this idea where she doesn't have anything to wear. Like her apartment blows up, and all of her clothes are gone, and she doesn't have a Harley suit, and she needs to get back and in, back into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so she pulls out a Harley Quinn suit that Batman made her, and it's basically the red and white suit. Sorry, the red and black one, but it's it's gray and black Mm -hmm. so it's kind of batman themed it's got a yellow belt on it like batman and it has a hood Mm -hmm. just like uh spider gwen and Mm -hmm. you know my note to mateo and my editors were like let's sort of get on that spider gwen train so as soon as this (laughs) this comes out i'm sure i'm going to get accused of you know but whatever i think spider gwen is awesome (laughs) i think great hood makes a lot of sense yeah yeah so i kind of have a spider gwen-ish looking drawing of stealth harley quinn that's what i'm calling the costume uh, in front of me right now, and uh, every time I think of Spider Gwen, I just look at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, she's she's uh, one scene like Batman made it for her because he was always kind of hoping that she would turn around and maybe help him out instead of being with the Joker. Mm-hmm. So this costume is like bulletproof and Kevlar, and he even gives her a mallet that turns in. It's, it's like hammer shaped and fits in her belt, and she <laughs> pushes a button and it like extends and expands like a cartoon. And I think it's really cool. I'm really looking forward to them doing the action figure on this one. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 funny because that's like Batman. Batman designs a costume for her, but he but he manages to keep keep the sense of humor about it. <laughs> I know he's got a sense of humor for sure. Yeah, that's I mean, funny. Yeah, at, at the end of the book, I have uh, she. It gets an opportunity to join the GTO, and uh, I won't ruin what she what she says. But they had a scene where they're like, "Do you want to be a cop?" And they're like handing her a gun if she wants to be on the force. And I just I don't see Harley Quinn shooting an actual gun. I mm-hmm. see her with a cork gun, right? Or a, yes, you know. And like I don't know because even in White Knight uh, Curse, she's teamed up with Batman. She goes in to chase after Azrael, and she has no weapons. She's wearing a right. bulletproof vest, which is helpful. 
but I just don't see her holding an AK-47 and going right, in there, right. you know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know sometimes. You know, uh, one, one thing I, I, I keep meaning to ask you that I never have about, about uh, writing Harley is um, she, obviously Arlene Sorkin has a, is a very specific performance. And yeah. I've noticed that in the comics, some people go further out of their way to try and ape that performance text-wise yeah. than yeah. others. Yours doesn't. Yours is pretty straightforward. Um, but I have seen other ones where it's almost like they're phonetically writing out the way that she pron- that Arlene Sorkin pronounces everything. And I mm-hmm. find it very difficult to read personally. Yeah. yeah I, I, know. I don't yeah. know what the, what, I, what the middle ground is there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, my friend Jimmy wrote um, the bulk of the Harley Bible at this point is what Jimmy and Amanda Connor did, mm-hmm. which is in their eyes, they, they their version was Looney Tunes Harley. Mm-hmm. And um, some people like it, some people don't, but I, I feel like it is very much uh, Looney Tunes Harley. And uh, Looney Tunes doesn't take itself seriously. That's part of the fun of Looney Tunes. So, you know, what Jimmy and Amanda did is exactly what they set out to do and it sold really well. Um and I think they do a lot of like, local color, I think is what you'd call that kind of... Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, she said, uses the word gotcha a lot. Um, well, like I, that's what I would do when I write her, is I wouldn't phonetically change how she says words, but I would throw a cutesy word within a balloon just to remind people sure. that that's the tone. You sure, know what I mean? Sure. Like You don't need to alter every single word to make it super slang-like. If you just have a gotcha in there or gimme a break or every now and then right, a right. reminder that it's Har- Har- Harleen Sorkin. And I think that the voice will remain in your head. You don't need to bastardize every single goddamn word. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I always find that stuff interesting because I feel like trying to write accents or something is, um, yeah. you, you can lose control of it pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. A great example is, um, uh, when X-Men number one came out with Jim Lee, mm-hmm. uh, the way that, um, uh, fuck who wrote that. Claremont. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no. It was um, 1992 when they rebooted everything. Yeah, that's still Claremont. No, I thought it was... Uh... Almost positive it's Chris, Chris Claremont. No. Well, my point is... Well, I'll, I'll look that up in a second. Um, but when they wrote uh, Rogue, they didn't go over the top with making her all Southern, genteel, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. They just gave her a uh, uh, maybe a y'all every now and then. And yeah. Uh, one other word that they used that uh, sugar a word that comes up a lot sugar yeah sugar yeah. with no r on yeah, it that's yeah. all you needed you didn't need to really make her that twangy for us to get the get the gist well, you know it's funny you bring that up because I was going to say someone who who has a lot of fun with that stuff clearly is Chris Claremont because if you go back to um, the any of his X Men stuff you know he's got that multicultural X Men team he was working with so he's got. Uh, yeah. Russian stuff he's writing into Colossus and Scottish Brogue he's writing into Banshee and uh, yeah. X, Y, and Z. And uh, he seems to find find a nice kind of middle ground where he can do it and have fun with it, but it's not overpowering. Yeah. Um, and when, I, when I was writing my old book, Dead Meat, one of my characters was English. And yeah. uh, I was trying to figure out what the middle ground for writing an English accent was short of like dropping the H's, all of all the H words or something. Um, So what I ended up doing was just writing it normal, uh, like I would always write it, you know, normal, American. And, uh, (laughs) uh, but I would spell words in the British spelling if if they had an alternate spelling. And I would use, I would use specific words if they came up like, like, you know, Lori or Lou or something like that. I would go that, but I I wouldn't try to write in the accent. I would try to do it by, uh, by context or the way you're viewing the word, uh, as it's, as it's spelled, uh, where he's from originally. Right. Fuck. It was Chris Claremont. Who was I thinking of? Uh, did someone else take over halfway through the run of X-Men? Um, Probably, I don't know. Claremont wrote X-Men for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, issue 8, Jim Lee. Scott Lobdell. That's oh, who yeah, I yeah. thought it was. Okay. Yep. So Scott Lobdell did take over. Uh, it says issue 9 or 8 at some point. Okay, yeah. I just assume Scott Lobdell wrote all of those. Yeah, no, yeah. I, yeah, I it's I always forget that Claremont wrote X Men for like twenty five years or something. Yeah, what a different world uh, 
of comics that we live in now where people yeah. get opportunities to do a long meaty run and now people you're lucky if you get someone on a, a miniseries or for a run of books for more than five issues honestly right yeah yeah and i i mean personally i don't read monthly comics as much as i used to but i when i did yeah. i always found that changing up the art team and the writing team like that was very jarring um yeah like when i got the thing that got me back into comics was uh <clears throat> Lionel Lionel Hughes run on Wolverine, mm-hmm. which yeah. I unbelievable unbelievable art, and then yeah. all of a sudden they just he was gone, and they put in this other artist that was very very different from him, and the storylines were very very different, and I just it was it made me stop buying the book, and it's not yeah. it's not like a quality thing, it's just it wasn't you kind of get you kind of get comfortable, and then they kind of hit you with something all of a sudden, and it doesn't really sit yeah. well. Yeah, I can see why that bothers people it bothered me i mean i remember when i bought um <laughs> i first hated when klaus jansen drew gambit in a mm-hmm. gambit miniseries <laughs> because it wasn't jim lee sure and i was a dumb sure. kid like what the fuck did i know and uh looking back at it now and knowing klaus like that book is really nice very yeah. pretty um i think he's inking lee weeks actually oh really who's another artist i really love wow. yeah and like me as a dumb you know 11 year old you know hey i love jim lee's art too but you know, Lee Weeks inked by Klaus Jansen is yeah. pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, and, I, uh, but a kid, I'm like, nah, his hair is too big. It doesn't look like Jim Lee. It's not good. <laughs> I, th- I can't remember if I brought this up here before, but uh, I had a similar experience with the trading cards because they did mm. the uh, the Marvel masterpieces trading cards with Joe Jusco, and <laughs> I loved those cards. Absolutely loved them. And then the second yeah. the second round came out, and they had all yeah. these different artists. And there were some of these cards that were just really weird and really scratchy yeah. and all over the place, and I uh-huh. hated them. Only later... <laughs> the Sienkiewicz ones? Yeah. Only later did I realize they were Bill Sienkiewicz <laughs> cards, and now are my some of my favorite illustrations of those characters. Yeah. You and I were talking about this, because I have the Wolverine one, where Wolverine's fingers are all crooked. Yeah. But it's yeah. just... It's got that Sienkiewicz energy, and it's just... It is so killer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, Joe Jusko is a solid artist. Um he paints in a way like Boris does. Oh, yeah, sure. Boris's full name. Vallejo, Boris is I trying think. to be Frazetta. What is it? Is it Vallejo? I'll go with that. Sure. I have no idea. <laughs> um, but yeah, like some of the, I remember the Joe Jusco card of uh, Human Torch was fucking amazing. Mm. And it was a giant fireball with a tiny Human tor- Torch in the background. But the energy was so great. And I don't even like Human Torch, but I just remember <laughs> that one being one of my favorite cards. Yeah, um, I had a I had a poster of the his Wolverine card which was like Wolverine yeah. without a mask on in the woods or something like yeah. jumping to it was very cool. Yeah, like he was taking a step toward one knee's forward and he's like with yeah. his arms out basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not dynamic. It is like very iconic though, you know. I think that's the thing with Sienkiewicz, he's so uh, wildly experimental experimental that I don't think a lot of Sienkiewicz's stuff is that iconic because being iconic it has to kind of be clean mm. and simple enough to like stick in your head like something that would remain on a stamp and hold up right if it's yeah. too uh, experimental then it just can't really be iconic I you would know, argue I, I think I think it depends on what it is because I, I think uh, Sienkiewicz's iconic stuff is the stuff that he had the opportunity to like really sit with and kind of reinvent. Like I would call his demon bear stuff on new mutants iconic. Yeah, uh, definitely. I would call yeah. his, uh, moon Knight stuff is pretty iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he, he probably doesn't have as, uh, and those uh, to be fair, I think those are t- both two things that did not really have iconic things yet. So he was the right. first person to be able to kind of do that. Whereas Wolverine, right. it's like everybody's. I, I had a thing on Twitter. I was uh, started a small argument with the world um, because I, I pulled up a drawing, a Art Adams drawing of Wolverine, which mm-hmm. I was looking at it and I was like, I don't even know why people keep drawing Wolverine. This is the best Wolverine drawing, <laughs> which of course started a whole thing. But uh, yeah. you know, like Wolverine, Oof. he's got so many different iconic images and, and kind of things built into him that it's it's yeah. it's. It, t- going too far off the reservation with him kind of doesn't land you in that same area. Yeah. Yeah. This is just making me want to draw a Wolverine book or at least something with Logan. But my relationship with Marvel is so not good that I don't think I'm ever <laughs> going to have a chance to draw Wolverine for them. 
Hey, <laughs> I. You know what? If uh, if the if the if it's anything like professional wrestling, if there's money involved that's going to come in, I'm sure yeah. they'll I'm sure they'll they'll be happy to talk to you. <laughs> <clears throat> well, speaking of things that you would like to draw, <laughs> um, for me, I think Robin fighting with fish. It's got to be up there. Oh, I was going to bring that up because, uh, you know, we were talking about the animation looking really good. Um, They must have, like, rotoscoped some martial arts stuff or something because Robin with the fish is, like, super smooth the way he's using the nunchucks. And Mm -hmm. uh, Batman with the bow staff is also very smooth. So they must have, like, rotoscoped that or something. Yeah. this The animation studio handled this. I bet they did the... Batman, Superman, World's Finest movie that we'll get to eventually. Oh, they're really? one of the top uh, animation houses. Yeah, they're they're the most mon- anime looking of all the Batman animated series houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can always see it in their women. Uh, like Harley in this has a lot of uh, anime eyes. Oh, sure, sure. Shot to shot, and I think it looks fantastic. Um, but yeah, I think this is the most expensive studio. I would imagine that this studio was the most expensive for them at the time because their stuff always stands out, and they tend to use them for the biggest uh, straight to video type stuff mm. or you know marquee episodes. She's got kind of those uh, those anime cheeks too. Like uh, she she had that like small yeah small nose and those really rounded cheeks that like kind of like yeah. Mega, like Mega Man has sort of totally <laughs> yeah the nose like they don't draw the nose at all they draw a small oval under where the nose will be yeah and that reads and it's totally effective yeah, uh, yeah. you see it in anime a lot and it's awesome yeah <clears throat> um so yeah you would do uh, Robin with the fish yeah uh, I think so or some of the car chase stuff's pretty awesome like uh, drawing tanks. Uh, I've always enjoyed. I mean, you're in the middle of uh, bloody hell. Are you tired of drawing tanks yet? No, uh, there's not really any <laughs> tanks in my book because there weren't really that many tanks <laughs> in oh, World War One for I the most part, that, except yeah. for the end. Uh, most of, most of my stuff uh, is taking place on a destroyed battlefield, so there's not not uh, too much yeah. artillery that I have. Yeah, you to draw. have a very muddy book. That's got to be tough. So, what would you draw, Clay? Um, you know, I. Uh, <laughs> I really liked the scene at the end with them on the rooftops and all those mm. uh, like neon billboards. <laughs> those signs are so dumb, though. It's yeah, like they're really a stupid. Hand waving, it's like hi, or like hello there, or smile, or yeah, fly. They're like they're really so ridiculous. They're really poorly thought out, like Las Vegas billboards. <laughs> they're so dumb that they're funny, though. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like that would be fun in concept. I don't know how quickly I would I would hate it though. Yeah. Uh, trying to draw all those neon lights and stuff. Um, yeah, but it gives you it gives you an opportunity for some cool. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Compositions and some lighting tricks and stuff. So it might be kind of fun. Yeah, you could have neon lit Batman. Ooh, yeah. Now we're yeah, talking. like hot pink, like yeah. a synth, like a synth wave poster. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, what would you give this one for a rating? Uh, I think I'm going to give this one a five. I think this is yeah. a solid five for me. Me too. I, uh, I I like this as much as Heart of Ice. This has the emotional element that Heart of Ice has. It's not as romantic and uh, chilling and stuff mm-hmm. uh, as, as Heart of Ice is, but this sets out to do something different, but I think it does it 100% efficiently. Uh, I just love this episode. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it's going to be interesting talking about the next one as well because yeah. uh, I I found myself thinking... They're fitting so much into this one episode, like mm-hmm. there's so much story f- fit into this. And the next yeah. one, I found myself thinking, "Wow, they really didn't fit much story into this." <laughs> so I have thoughts about that already. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we'll take uh, a quick break, and uh, then we'll be back with lockup. All right, Lock Up, story by Paul Dini, teleplay by Marty Eisenberg and Robert N. Skier, directed by Dan Reba. In this one, Lyle Bolton, the new head of security at Arkham, is fired for his atrocious mistreatment of inmates. Six months later, Bolton becomes the vigilante lockup and decides to put who he feels responsible for the ruin of the city behind bars. It's up to Batman and Robin to save his victims. The first thing I thought about this episode is he must have dropped so much money at the brand manager's place. <laughs> <laughs> he probably stole all the equipment band manager 
the brand manager uses to lock up all of their valuable equipment. Yeah. Because like he, <laughs> it's like he, he broke into the safe not to steal the thing inside the stake safe, but just to steal the safe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like he showed up at the brand manager's place and, and where brand manager was expecting like, oh, you okay, so you want like a couple goons? He's like, no, I want <laughs> Dr. Octopus tentacles that I can install into a boat. I want a uh, gigantic armored truck that will and so he's writing the stuff down and he just doesn't have any money left for goons yeah <laughs> his gimmick is pretty cool uh by throwing locks locking doors the wheel locks on batman's car mm-hmm. um they did manage to fit enough stuff where it's like oh yeah i can see what kind of toys like that character does kind of write itself in some ways um but what he was missing was uh depth mm like they they i agree with you the episode was was fine it felt very empty because you never know why lockup acts the way he does and i think that it's such a missed opportunity because he's basically a version of batman who goes a step further i mean he's not killing people but he wants to brutally lock them up keep an eye on him he even offers batman twice the opportunity to team up so what makes this vigilante different than you batman is the question and I feel like they really didn't go near that stuff at all, and it's such a shame. Yeah. Um, if you really wanted to turn this into like a Heart of Ice type episode, I would have put in like something that happened in Lockup's past that makes Bruce think of his own past and why being a vigilante was a way of him healing himself. You know, why Batman chooses not to cross this line when Lockup does, and they again they did not go near any of that, and I I cannot understand why. Well, you know, I actually I I don't think I would. I would go that route if it were me because I think it's, you know, I, I found myself thinking about he's kind of closer to the Punisher because he's, uh-huh. he's like a cop who's a vigilante, but he's like the Punisher without the catalyst. He's mm-hmm. just like, he's just like a hyper intense uh, correctional officer who has just mm-hmm. decided that the system doesn't work the way he thinks it should. And I kind of find that more interesting where it's like he's Batman. If you want to compare him to Batman, he's Batman without an ethos. Like he Uh just thinks he knows better and he thinks that he uh, needs to take pick up the slack that the uh, the justice system is dropping. So he's kind of so he doesn't have that justifiability. If if you want to say Batman is justified in what he's doing, Uh uh, lockup doesn't have that because he's acting Right. Out of hubris, essentially. Right. Or if they... Another way they could have played it is um, Batman does hire Lockup because he's going to do a good job. And Batman does need criminals to stop escaping from Arkham. So Lockup did exactly what he was told. But then he got too brutal and Batman sort of threw him under the bus. Mm-hmm. You know, and this could have been a deep dive on how Batman's decision affects other people, especially one who took to vigilantism just like him. Right. Like, this is yet another villain, in a way, that Batman created. Mm-hmm. He could have gone that route. He'd have to think about the consequences of his actions. Of hey, You hired this guy to be brutal and to keep these people from being uh, escaping. You got what you wanted, and then it didn't work out, so now you're an enemy of his? Like, right. You shouldn't have started this in the first place, Batman. Yeah. They didn't do that either. You know, There's so many great ways that they could have added more depth to this, but he's just a one-note villain. Yeah, yeah. He's pretty... Uh, uh, he gets that He gets that one scene where he's watching TV, and he's like, I must destroy the liberal media. And yeah. asi- aside from... <laughs> that, too. Aside from Trumper. that. Yeah, he's, he's, uh, uh, he's a... Let's just say he looks like the kind of person that would attempt to kidnap the governor of Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> Very topical. <laughs> <laughs> Not to date this yeah. podcast, but. I like the uh, the taxi driver moment where he pushes the TV over and just that's when he breaks, basically. Yeah. But like even there, it's like I, I feel like maybe I'm looking at him through a, a uh, current events kind of lens. But like when I mm-hmm. see that moment in this, I like it, but I like it because it's so like overblown like the way that Mm -hmm. he's reacting is is they didn't do anything to him he just thinks that he knows better and he thinks that he's being persecuted so now he has to take the action to 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 pick up the slack in a way that is not acceptable yeah which i i find that kind of interesting as as a character yeah there's a character in batman beyond that reminds me of him i think it's his character voiced by henry rollins and oh really his name is max or Max something. 
and he's a super intense ex-military guy with a like a jar jug jarhead type mm-hmm. thing and he's super aggro and really a perfect role for henry rollins if you think about it right yes <laughs> and i always get him in lockup kind of mixed up in my head he henry rollins always seems to play like swat team guys or yeah. <laughs> uh or some sort of like bodyguard because he's super intense man you know I, you will not find a bigger fan of henry rollins than i am like, <laughs> when i became an atheist i needed something else in my brain to set up my new value system and Henry Rollins' spoken word hit me at just the right time, where nice. it was like, it was intense, it was hardworking, it was no bullshit, it cut through the crap, and uh, it's just kind of what I needed to hear in my 20s. So I yeah. definitely adopted a lot of Henry Rollins, the intensity that, uh, that he has anyway. And I just think it's funny, he's more known for his intensity than for his music. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I, I still think it's, it's, it's fun when he pops up in movies and stuff. Like, I always forget yeah. he's in heat. And so anytime yeah. <laughs> he shows up, it's like, oh, hey, Henry Rollins. I think he's in, uh, what the hell? He's in Bad Boys 2, I think, or one of those Yeah, movies. he's a SWAT team yes, operator yeah. guy, giving them the briefing or whatever at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was as far as I made it through that movie. And I know that I should love that movie, oh. and everyone else loves that movie and references it all the time. It's one of the greats, but I've never gotten through it. Bad Boys 2 is the best action movie from the 2000s. <laughs> Easily. Uh, uh, we'll get into that later. I'll put it up against. Podcast. I'll put it up against anything that came out after the year two thousand, between two thousand and twenty ten. My my dislike of Michael Bay's filming his shtick drives me so crazy. Mm. I think that's what I'm responding to. That's However, probably fair. I do like. I do like The Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every everybody has one. <laughs> yeah, I actually enjoyed The Island too. It's one of the movies that doesn't. Get a lot of uh, talk. I like the first half of the island. Once they escape, it kind of turns into a you know, it's, yeah. it's it turns into the Michael Bay shtick where it's like, oh, it's a car chase and they're dropping oh, something right. heavy off of a truck that they have to zigzag between. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff that he did better in Bad Bad Boys too. I think you're right. I think I uh, did like the, the first half better, and then the, the movie just changes to tone halfway through. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'll uh, try to watch that watch that one again. Yeah. Um Yeah, uh the other thing that's interesting about Lockup is he is another character that originated in the show and then yeah. they moved into the comics. They actually moved him to the comics before they did with they uh, moved Harley to the comics. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That's pretty great. Which, I, it's it, with a name like Lockup with his shtick, I can't believe they didn't come up with a character like that sooner. Yeah. Yeah, he's not it's not rocket science with this guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is set up to be step two. He comes in after Batman does his work, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was another thing that he that could have made him deeper was he has a real admiration for Batman, like a big-time admiration for Batman. And all he does in this episode is offer him briefly, like, hey, Dark Knight, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. We can work together, and that's the end of it. But if he was, like, more obsessed with Batman and wanted to join Batman and do the next thing... Um, and felt very emotionally betrayed by Batman when Batman didn't agree with him, mm-hmm. that would have given him more depth. And that, yet another thing that they just didn't do. Yeah. It's staring them in the face, goddammit. <laughs> or if he's pissed off that, you know, he keeps having to deal with these guys. You know, he's he's got his thing, yeah. and Batman Batman never gets rid of them for good, so he has to come in and, and shovel up the, the bullshit. Yeah. One thing that always bugged me is Lockup's face mask. It's You can see his lips and his teeth through yeah. the mask. Yes. And I, I know that... That's super impressive that they animated it, but I feel like they could have just made it black and had the chin drop up and down a little bit, and that would have been fine too. Mm. He that, looks like a GI Joe character to me. He more does. Than a villain. Yeah, he very much has a has a GI Joe character look to him. <laughs> he looks like Firefly, one of the ninja. Oh yes, yes, he guys. does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I uh, not to jump directly to what I would draw, but I I would take another swing at his costume. I think at his co- <laughs> I think yeah. his costume, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's a little, it's a little silly for me. I think, yeah. I think there's a more. It's oh, very nice. It's very nineties, though. I know what I was going to say. I lost my train of thought before, but um, <laughs> I was uh, uh, what you were talking about, saying him uh, lockup being a uh, a fan of Batman and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> um, when I was looking up stuff on Bane for our Bane episode, I was looking up um all the different places Bane has showed up in different media and whatnot. And he was on Gotham and, oh God, the Bane on Gotham is fucking terrible. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's really... just like, a, it's, a, it's a kid, right? It's a, it's, it's a skinny guy. Yeah, that he's got like, 
you know shoulder pad jackets on. He's got like he looks got like a Darth Vader. It's 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 not a great version of Bane. But um, yeah. the thing that's interesting is they they retcon his. Uh, story in gotham so he's actually similar more he's closer to lockup than he is bane because he's Mm -hmm. like a from what i remember he is i think he's a gotham pd swat guy who's like really intense about what they're doing and how how they're dealing with the with the uh uh the criminals and stuff like that and so basically that persona gets twisted into what ultimately becomes Bane or become, he could becomes more of like a militaristic villain kind of thing. So that's, right. they, they kind of go in that direction, um, which is, it is an interesting way to go. Uh, visually not their best work, but, uh, yeah. but conceptually it's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what you would draw. You, uh, mad Stan. That's who it is. Sorry. There's a character in Batman Beyond named Mad Stan, <laughs> voiced by Henry Rollins. And it is basically lockup. He doesn't have, um, he's a vigilante. He's all intense. He's like an ex-Marine type of guy who headbutts a lot of people. Like, he's a <laughs> blunt instrument, basically. He reminds me a lot of lockup, but is even more shallow in some ways. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I would, yeah, I would take a swing at the costume, especially because uh, if you're not doing yeah. it, like I get it on... <laughs> the cartoon they have to keep it fairly simple yeah but uh i think in the comics i, w- I yeah. would probably go more like heavy swat gear or something something a little bit closer to, to that sort of militarized police look yeah but the question is how do you make that stuff unique because sure, everyone has sure. swat gear even batman with chris nolan there's like swat gear stuff on his costume arkham now too like you need to make something distinct or else he's just gonna look like Another G.I. Joe, right. you know? Give him a sweet chain across his chest like he has in the, sh- in the <laughs> you show. You know, I was thinking, uh, have you ever seen the video of uh, Stan Lee talking with Rob Liefeld and Tom McFarlane? Yes, I have. And yes. coming up with a new character called Overkill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is as 90s as it sounds. The O in Overkill is a scope. The over part of the logo is like in blood, and the kill part is written in like a really crazy kill font. Yeah. And... Uh, when uh, they're putting this character, you know, you have Rob and Todd who are, and Todd's a friend of mine and uh, I admire what he did big time. Um, I don't really know Rob very well, but they were doing the 90s things. So they're like, oh yeah, big shoulder pads, metal here, this and that. And they're just giving him the cable treatment basically, mm-hmm. which is what everyone was doing in the 90s and God bless them for doing it. And you see Stan Lee who's trying, who's a writer, don't forget, he's an actually a writer and he's trying to inject some like legit story <laughs> into this and... Uh, they're like he's like well why are they wearing maybe overkill the reason that he's wearing chains is because he needs to help be held back because he's too strong which is like a good idea that are any good writer would suggest and you see todd and rob just totally hand wave like yeah okay whatever stanley <laughs> <laughs> he wears chains because they're fucking cool okay <laughs> yeah that's why all of us wear chains uh you know it's funny i that video i i always found interesting because that that character that they draw is over to kill the character from Spawn. Oh, and it's which like came first. I assume that video because they were drawing with with uh, Stan Lee. I imagine it must have been a a Marvel thing, unless it wasn't. Yeah, but assuming it yeah. was, yeah. I don't know if Todd just <laughs> stole that drawing and then put a T in the name, so it wasn't just Overkill. It was yeah. Overt Kill, which I still think is a it, dumb it's name. It's so <laughs> stupid. Overkill rolls off the tongue. Overt Kill is yeah. like a speed bump in the middle of a highway. Yeah, don't put it there. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it sounds like somebody misheard him or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the T is like. Sorry, you have to take two breaths to say this word. Right, yeah, yeah. But I, I remember seeing that. I was like, this is like the same guy. It's the same colors. He's got the big spiky green uh, yeah. shoulder pads and that eye thing. <laughs> uh, one other thing that happened when I was interviewing Todd was uh, he gave me some shit for the Spawn cover I drew for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spawn number 250, I drew Spawn um drinking coffee in hell <clears throat> i drew all the old classic 90s villains in a diner in hell <laughs> you know and i was i was overthinking it way too much and uh he didn't say he didn't like it he just said he was very surprised i didn't do my normal thing mm. and i said well whatever todd you just want me to draw spawn on a rooftop don't you and he's he knew that i was saying he's like no no that's not what <laughs> everyone always thinks i want spawn on a rooftop 
And I go, what, maybe you're okay with a gargoyle too? I mean, look at these Spawn covers, man. It's the same thing over and over again. I'm sorry I tried to enjoy. I'm like Stan Lee putting out, trying to find reasons for the chains. You know right. what I mean? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Just find, My fault was I put way too much thought into it. Just find the biggest stone cross in the city and then just <laughs> drape him over that and just give him enough <laughs> enough uh, cape room that he's got yeah. 250 yards of cape dangling down the cross and you'll be good to go. Yeah. Man, I got so much shit for drawing Batman draped over a cross in that scene in Curse of the White Knight. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be a total win. Like Anytime you can have a character who's gothic draped over a cross is like thumbs up and everyone was like why is he doing that in I, the middle of the room i don't i don't disagree with them <laughs> oh, come on man it's so cool <laughs> could you imagine okay sure but like imagine if you were talking to batman right and you were like at your grandmother's house who's like a super catholic and he walks into her to the living room you're casually talking to batman about some story and then he walks over to the table and just like drapes himself onto the giant cross she has in the middle of the room (laughs) dude it's a little bit awkward the window the cross is the closest thing to jump to from the window he was making his way over the cross and that's when jason blood walked in how is this difficult (laughs) yeah no yep yeah it's great. I don't get it, man. I mean, the, uh, yeah, the logic is strained, but it I does. Feel like it in does comics, look. It does kind of look like Jason Bud like caught him in the middle of something. Like, what are you doing? Are you masturbating from the crucifix? No, again? I just like to. I just like to lean on them. <laughs> it's like putting, putting up your putting your boner against the warm car in the sunlight. It just feels good. Yeah, yeah. That's uh... <laughs> that's something we've all done, right, fellas? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, um, well, now oof. you know why I love cars so much. Moving uh, on. Apparently, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The, uh, there's, a, there's a comedian that had a whole bit about that. I thought maybe you'd have heard it, but I guess not. No, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah. I'm nice. The nice save. Nice save. <laughs> um, you know, th- this one isn't. I, I didn't think it was. You know, we were talking about it's not super super dense story wise, but. Uh, I think the set pieces are actually really nice. Like I, I like, I really like that boat sequence at the end, just from like an yeah. action and animation standpoint. Um, having yeah. them fight on that sinking yeah. boat that's kind of rocking all over the place. Yep, yeah, that's a good set piece for sure. Um, and yeah, the uh, uh, the animation looked good in this one too. Um, yeah, it's uh, he's a he's an interesting villain to throw in. Uh, he's probably. They haven't done a ton of like new villain villains in the show when you really kind of break it down. They've they've done a handful, but you know, you're, you're yeah. seeing the old guys more than you're seeing the new guys. Yeah. I would say for me, I think Lockup is probably the most successful or one of the most mm-hmm. successful. Um and I don't know if that's just because his thing is is so easily uh uh easy to get across. Or if yeah. it's just it's a it's a fun episode or what, but like, I think Lockup is a lot more successful than like the Rat King or whatever the hell that guy's name was. <laughs> that episode yeah. I hate. Um, yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head the other uh, animated series exclusive villains, but uh, Lockup seems yeah. to be a pretty good pretty good uh, creation. The foundation is solid with him. Yeah, uh, I just wish that they had taken it further. Um, in fact, I was gonna I t- mentioned last time I think. For the opening scene of Volume Three of Batman White Knight, I want to. Bruce is in jail, and he's going to be thwarting like a prison riot of some kind. And I mentioned that I wanted the bad guy to be Azrael, but you weren't into that. And so I was trying to think of new villains um, or villains I could throw in there, and I thought of Lockup. Mm-hmm. And watching this makes me not want to do it because I would rather address Lockup in a more legitimate way that um, that. that gets into the character more. I don't mm. want him to be a, a one-off or whatever. Like, it could be a nice Easter egg, and maybe I can get to him later, but... Um, well, it's... Like I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that was it. Well, I was just going to say, it's funny. I you know I won't go into the specifics, but I think you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, I think if you were going to use Lockup, I think I would prefer Lockup to be the one who's overseeing the jail instead right. of the other character that you're going to be using for that. Um, I, I don't think yeah. you have to get rid of that character, but uh, but like yeah. uh, having having Lockup in that position of like warden of the jail sort of um, yeah. seems to, yeah. to like it would fit better than having him be like uh, in the middle of a riot like that. Yeah, yeah. 
one problem I'm going to be running into is uh, doing all these spinoff books is great, but if the main title, the one that I'm writing and drawing, shoots ahead 10 years mm. to a Blade, Blade Runner-esque Gotham, mm-hmm. um, do my spinoffs all have to now happen in the future? Or for that matter, if I do a Superman um, Justice League type thing in White Knight mm-hmm. for volume four, which takes place further in the future, does that mean I can't do any more Batgirl? Or is every right. story going to have to be a flashback from now on? You know, because my main universe has moved forward into the future. Can I do contemporary White Knight tales still? Yeah. I'm not really sure. <laughs> well, I think right now you can because you've got uh, 10 years of, of Batman in jail that you can play with, you know? Right. Uh, if your main book is pick, like if you've, if, uh, if you're, you're thinking of it in Star Wars terms, you've mm-hmm. got plenty of room for Rogue One in between episode yeah. three and episode four, you know? Well, so the question, though, is when volume three comes out, does that mean I can't put out any more spinoffs mm. if they're going to take place after volume two? So think about a new reader who yeah. approaches the bookshelf. They're like, all right, I know I need it volume one and two and three. I want to read these Harley stories, but like, when does this happen in the timeline? Right. So does it have to be clear, like, this Batgirl spinoff takes place when Batman is still active. So this takes place between, you know, volumes two mm. and three. Uh, and if that story keeps continuing, you know, everyone knows that Barbara's going to survive because she's in volume four or five and six or whatever that right, is. Right. So, yeah, like I'm not really sure how to handle it marketing wise or if readers necessarily even care, honestly, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's tough. That's a tough question. Um, I don't because if you don't do it that way, then every story is going to have to take place in the normal timeline of White Knight, which right. is going to be. 10 or 20 years into the future. Mm-hmm. So that means Barbara's going to be 50. So if you want a traditional Batman st- Batgirl story, does it all have to be flashback touching on the present day? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Who wants to read every single story? It's like, all right, here we go. Here's the flashback. Like that just seems like a very repetitive system of putting these things out. Well, I mean, once you get into the future, I mean, there's no reason why you can't do a Batgirl in the future story. Where she's fifty, yeah. or or Dick Grayson in the future, or, or whatever, or um, yeah, you know, you've got plenty of. I think you've got plenty of room to do sort of like a uh, old generation meets new generation kind of thing in there. Um, That's true. Yeah, the stories could be a uh, handing of the baton type of story. Yeah, or I mean, yeah, you you've got, uh, or you could do like a Batgirl story that isn't Barbara Gordon centric at all. It's whatever the future version of Batgirl happens to be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's true. There's a le- at least there's a lot of new potential there, and I don't have to stick with the uh, classic, uh, you know, vibe of Batgirl books, for example. Right. <clears throat> I can really reinvent her without uh, breaking any rules, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's crazy. The, the numbers came in for my wife's Harley book, and they're high. They're like seventy-seven thousand so far. That's, that's awesome. Before re- that's before reprints. That's before digital. That's, Congratulations! That's, that's just, great. Just below, oh yeah, thanks, man. That's just below my original White Knight numbers. And wow. I'm like White Knight issue one, at coming out of the gate, it did like eighty something and change, which puts it into the top ten books. Like that's more sales than Wonder Woman, Spider Man, um, X Men in some ways. The only book that beat it was another Batman book, which is probably written by Scott, which mm-hmm. is which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't sure if my name would translate to my wife's book. Uh, I'm not drawing it, of course. It's Mateo, who's, you know, I think arguably better than me in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, so I was expecting it to be like at 50. But when it came in, especially under COVID numbers, right, like right. DC's math is whatever the numbers would be outside of COVID, just take down 25%, period. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. everything is just selling less. Um, but they're also finding that um, the good books are selling way better and the bad books are selling way worse. So they're sort of like, um, the middle class is sort of being forgotten about in sure. comics right now. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, so yeah, I was talking about my wife's book just because it gives me a lot of hope for these White Knight spinoffs because if like my name can at least guarantee 80% of my customers who bought White Knight, you will retain those customers no matter what you put Sean on as long as it's good, mm-hmm. then that's a huge selling point to DC. So yeah, they definitely. might really be interested in these spinoff books, which 
you know, gets us into what you and I are going to do with Catwoman at some point. Right. You know, it makes right. it easier to sell that. And, you know, if they, you know, caught or if they see your name and they guffaw at you because they're like, <laughs> who's this guy? He's never, I can be like, hey, man, you didn't know who my wife was. And I trusted her and worked with her and we've got a hit. Like, I'm going to do it again with Clay. So trust me, you know, it just sort of uh, lends credence to that argument. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. That's uh that's a, that's really impressive. <laughs> I, uh, no, I'm thrilled, man. I don't get to use the word guffaw in uh, sentences very often, so I'm very happy with that. Yeah, and if it's in if guffawing is in relation to anything <laughs> that involves me, I'm always happy. So, <laughs> guffaw sounds like a sex move. <laughs> I, I take back everything I just said. Um, yeah, what? Oh, would, sorry, uh, I was just thinking about a warm car in the sunlight. Yeah, <laughs> what would uh, what would you want to draw from this one? Uh. You're redesigning his costume is pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of scenes where characters get off of boats and climb up onto other boats. Like, I always <laughs> love doing that stuff for some reason. So that's yeah. kind of where my head's at. Yeah, that's cool. I like going from one element, like the water, and having to climb up on a ladder and then swinging through something. Like, I like that whole uh, procedure that you have characters doing sometimes in comics to get from point A to B. Yeah, yeah. Um, rating, what would you go for this one? Uh, three. Yeah, I would. I would say three. It's uh, it's perfect. It's fine. It's right down yeah. the middle. I think uh, does has good stuff in it, but doesn't blow me away. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think. I don't. Yeah, that's about it for me, man. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, for Harley's holiday and lockup, we've only got a couple episodes left. Um, we've got, uh, make them laugh and deep freeze will be our next episode. And then unfortunately there's a, uh, there's an, an odd number of episodes. So Batgirl returns is the final episode of the season. So, uh, uh, maybe we'll just do, I guess we'll do that one by itself. That, and then, um, we move on to, um, uh, Mr. Freeze movie. Yes. Yes. And then season four. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or do we do Mask of the Phantasm? We already did that. Wait, we did, we did that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So we'll do. Uh, we'll finish up the season, and then we'll do Sub Zero, and then we'll cool. uh, we'll get into season four. But uh, yeah, I'm psyched, man. Yeah, me too. Can't wait to talk about all those <laughs> costume redesigns. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, thank you, Sean, for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. And uh, we will see you next time. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Let's be good guys.